That's the stupidest idea I've ever heard, that we're going to actually take people that are destroyed and try to fix them. What about the results? And they're not good. And come by and go, yeah, we show it all. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another episode of the Rhinoplasty Podcast with me, Dr. Cameron McIntosh. I welcome to our listeners from more than 70 countries around the world. It is the month of March, and our special topic for the month is the influencers. Proudly brought to us by Elegant, so a huge shout out to Elegant for enabling the podcast. I have a special guest today. Now, he's an influencer both in the social world of uh, facial plastic surgery, but even more so in uh, what I would almost call the academic world between colleagues. It's, it's a man who, who has had a huge influence on both the professionals and the public. So it's a great honor to invite Paul Nassif to be here. Paul, thank you so much for being on the show today. Cameron, thank you. It's great to uh, you know, be on this. And again, I'm looking forward to also coming visiting you in South Africa. I have to get down there. Oh, I can't wait. We, we, we have to go on a surgical safari when you're here. <laughs> that sounds wonderful. So, Paul, I mean, there'll be a lot of people wanting to listen, both from the public and the, 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 our colleagues as professionals. And I mean, obviously, we know about botch. We'll talk about that later. But I'd want to know, where did this all start? How did you actually end up doing medicine and from there end up doing facial plastic surgery and rhinoplasty before we getting into the other side of things? So you want to go way back. Um, so my, my uncle was a general practitioner. And back then, when I was young, uh, general practitioners did basic surgical procedures. And so I think probably around 10 or 11 years old, I used to go visit him at his office and I actually, you know, would help him. I get paid. I, you know, clean the office, wipe things down. And this is as a young little kid, you know, uh, sweep the area. And so I started liking medicine then at a very young age. And of course, you know, my mom was always a fan. Uh, you know, she always wanted me to become a doctor, of course. You know, so the, the parents' influence was slightly there. And so interesting, you know, as I got then as I attended high school, I still want to be a doctor. And then as it continued and progressed to college and everything, uh, I still wanted to do that, but I did take a circuitous route. I was, while I was in college, number one, I was working in a restaurant and managing a restaurant. Two, I ended up getting a finance business degree in college with a pre-med emphasis, which took me a little bit longer. And then interesting, uh, with that, I... You know, being, you know, I was in a fraternity at a, in college and so a little bit of fun. So my grades were just, you know, they're pretty good, but they weren't great. And in the United States, we have to take something called an MCAT. I don't know if they still do that now, but it's a kind of an entrance test for medical school. And I did average. I actually took it three times. Once I studied my behind off and I did average. The other two times I didn't study and I did exactly the same. <laughs> so, uh, you know, so those big national exams, I'm just not great at. So the interesting thing was um, I applied to medical school. And while I was waiting the first year, so listen, this is an interesting little story. My first year I had, I think, two or three interviews. Uh, 
And one of them, I got on a wait list, which means you're not in, but if something happens and there's an opening, we'll let you in. And I didn't get in first year. And so I went back and I started doing more research. I did research in the field of otology, which for those of you who are listening that don't understand that, that's actually a neurootology really has to do with specifically the ear, but going inside the ears, it goes to the brain. And I did it with um, one of the founders of otology, a doctor named Howard House. Wow. Who, if we go back into yeah. our literature, you know, stapedectomies and all that, he was the founder. And I used to go watch him operate. And this is, again, in college. Uh, and, of course, I did some research on tumors of the brain and the ear. So at that time, I went back and I applied again. I didn't hear anything for a long time. In the meantime, my, I said, I better think of an alternative in case this doesn't happen. So my family and I, including my sister, we opened up a restaurant in 19, okay, I'm dating myself, 1987. In 1987, so we, I still didn't hear from anything, from anybody at all. I applied at maybe 12 medicals. And I remember July 15th, 1987, our first day we're opening up the restaurant. And it's crowded, and there's people out the door, and the kitchen's backed up, and things are going wrong. You know, it's the first day of opening a restaurant. Wasn't prepared because I didn't know we'd be that busy. <clears throat> Get a phone call in the middle of lunch. Busiest time. Someone said, Paul, line one. I pick up the phone. I'm kind of in a hurry. I go, yes, you know, we're in the middle of lunch. And it was the medical school in Chicago. And they go, uh, Paul Massif, you got in medical school. It starts in two weeks. Two weeks. I said, uh, I said I'm in the middle of lunch. Do you mind? I go, this is kind of surreal. Can I call you back right after lunch? <clears throat> and it's funny, the next day, and I'll get into this in a minute. So the next day, same thing happens, but an hour later, second medical school calls me. You got in, starts in three weeks. So then when I had time to process this, I called both schools. I say, hey, listen, I didn't hear from anyone. I open up this restaurant. If I leave it, it's going to fail. Will you hold me a spot for next year? And the, one of the first one from Chicago says, yes, but you have to sign a waiver saying you won't apply to anywhere else and you will come here. I said, fine. So I worked in the restaurant for a full year, 18 hours a day, getting used to, again, working really hard because it was a little bit of a couple of years from college. And so I got used to working long, long hours. So in 1988, I went to Chicago. And it was freezing. It was minus 30 to below. Well, that's Fahrenheit, but Celsius. It was freezing. And the wind chill. And all you do is study. And I got used to, again, studying and working my behind off. And I said, you know, my parents were getting older. I go, I got to go transfer, if I can, for the year two to um, well, USC, University of Southern California, you know, one of the top medical schools. And I found out that every year, there's always a few people that drop out between the first and second year. They can't take it or they don't want to be a doctor, whatever. So I ended up being, I think, number one or two in that class in grades because I studied that hard. And I transferred to USC my second year, continued more research. And, of course, because of going into otology, which is a field of otolaryngology, 
That was my natural segue. I always wanted to be an otolaryngologist. So that's part one of this long story. It's fascinating. It's inspiring. I think the, the big thing is if you don't work, it's not just going to fall in your lap, eh? No, you had to, uh, yeah, you know, listen, I had, I've had to work for everything I've ever done in my life. Nothing has ever come. So and do I you want to share us part? Out there, no matter. Do you want to share part two of your story? What is that? Share part two yeah, of your story. Part two. So um, otolaryngology, um, I was actually at a medical meeting, and I think I interviewed at 20 ear, nose, and throat program. What's funny is I was at a medical meeting, and I was roommate. I was in my uh, college. I mean, I was, yeah, I was actually still in college, and I went to go present a paper at a medical meeting. And my roommate was a resident from a uh, small program in Albuquerque, New Mexico. Of course, uh, no state, and I went there to go visit him, and it was the most incredible surgical experience. And so I ended up interviewing there and making that number one, and I got in to Albuquerque, New Mexico. It's called the University of New Mexico. And uh, great training. But during that time, you have, uh, during the third year, you have an incredible facial plastic surgery experience um, with a, a doctor who ended up, uh, he actually... I don't know if he still has it, now, but he had a fellowship after. And um, surgical experience is incredible. You know, you do a lot. And during that time, for some unique reason, I liked it so much. And during my last year, I ended up opening up. They let me have a facial plastic surgery practice as a resident. I had my own clinic. For patients who wanted facial plastic surgery, just me alone, and one of my pediatric otolaryngologists attending have to staff me on my cases. So it was funny, because the attending would be assisting me doing a facelift as I'd, I'd be doing it. That's as a resident. Uh, so I, of course, loved facial plastics, and especially the nose. And then I ended up doing a fellowship with Dr. Regan Thomas, who was a pioneer in the field of facial plastics. At that time, he was in St. Louis, Missouri, and he ended up moving to Chicago, where he is. And that was such a wonderful fellowship. My mentor is still, to this day, we talk all the time. Uh, uh, he's still my mentor, friend, and colleague, all three together. And what a gentleman. Eh? Yeah, he's an incredible man, incredible person. So that's what got me into facial plastic. And it was a, a great generalized Fellowship where you pretty much do everything. That's a that's a great story. So, so, that, so that's part two. <clears throat> that's part two. So the the three areas I'm I'm interested in chatting to you about. The one is on the med spa side of things. The one is on like social media botched, and then the one is obviously on um, this new uh, tip elevation we're speaking about off air. So maybe let's kick off with uh, the entire like med spa side of things. Now, I know you inspired me and said to me, hey, Cameron, when you're building your edge day hospital, you've got to put a med spa in, which I, I followed your advice and, and we've got one going. And now the exciting stuff is that um, finally we're able to buy your products in South Africa. So tell us a little bit more about that part of your journey because clearly you're a businessman having run restaurants before you became a doctor. Um, I, I'm, I'm so in interested to know how you've carved out that niche where you've now actually got med spas outside of just California as well. Yes, I mean, you know, to me as a facial plastic surgeon, actually all plastic surgeons, 
I think it's really a natural um, part of doing practice where you have your medical practice, and then you have, for us, you know, we have these incredible injectors. We have what we call a nurse practitioner and the estheticians. That is part of our office, but next door, shall we say, just like you have an incredible you know, new facility that you built. And I've seen, of course, all the pictures when you were building it. You would share with me all that. And to me, having a med spa uh, is, to me, the most incredible thing because, one, we're right there, especially if they need our advice. They get training from us in regards to uh, minimally and non-invasive procedures from fillers and Botox and all the lasers and all the esthetician uh, area. And also, again, it's products, selling skincare products. And I also uh, am involved with the medical med spa in Manchester in England, in the UK. And we're also talking to other people in different parts of the country for what's called Nassif MD, med spa, you know, more of a brand. And, you know, I've created a little brand for myself, you know, being unbotched, it kind of, in 166 countries, you know, it kind of gives you a platform. Uh, and then in regards to that, skincare. I've always loved skincare because, you know, you and I can do a beautiful facelift, but if the skin itself has got lines and wrinkles and poor texture and uneven skin tone and it's dull, skincare, in addition to other procedures we do in the med spa, can help that. And so about six years ago, I launched a NASA MD Dermaceuticals. And, um, you know, I'm on, you know, we, we launched that in regards to TV selling first, which means, I'm, you know, we sell in the UK QVC. We sell in Australia called TVSM. We sell on TSC in Canada. And these are, you know, channels where you go on and you buy stuff. And I'm sure you've seen that. And we also have Home Shopping Network in the United States. I think now we're talking to Germany, QBC. And doing that and doing internet and then distribution, we started in the, uh, you know, Belgium and Denmark and a lot of the Norwegian, uh, um, especially up there in the uh, northern Europe, we have an incredible distributor. Um, and then now we're, we just launched, we're launching soon. We just signed one in the Middle East. And, of course, in South Africa, South Africa loves botched, and um, we are with an incredible distribution company that, of course, uh, deals with all the doctor's offices and med spas. And uh, so we, are, we have launched in South Africa, and it's interesting. I got a message uh, from them since you mentioned about how busy it is, and they said, you know, we're so, I was supposed to do some PR on Tuesday. They delayed the PR because they don't have enough product because of the overwhelming demand. And um, so, you know, it's great. And again, uh, like with you, uh, you have an incredible spot, of course. So I'm, I'm excited to see, uh, you know, NASFMD in your spa. And I will tell you one thing about it. It's efficacious. It's not like we took a white label off a lab and just put, it my, put my name on it. I actually worked with the chemist for years, and it takes three years to get one product out. They really bring great products, but they're extremely affordable because I'm on TV shopping, which means we have to be affordable. And so bringing it to the masses. And so I'm 
I'm glad uh, that, that it's doing great in South Africa. But, but Paul, going just a little bit further on that, I know we were speaking off air about yeah. how some products are like super expensive and somebody, a client can only buy like one product for the month. But what you guys are trying to do is to have really quality products, but that's slightly more affordable to clients. Absolutely. I mean, listen, I mean, if you think about it, an average price, but I'm talking about the United States, yeah. for a medical distributed product is probably anywhere between $125 and $150. Yeah. And depending on what you buy, for example, my two, because I'm on, I'm selling this weekend on Home Shopping Network, for example. These are my two big hero products. This is my detox pads that do about 10 things, and this is my hydro screen. It's called Liquid Gold. So even if you use other products, you know, this is, for example, you can buy for maybe $125 or less these two products together. Wow, you know, that's great. So you can buy, depending on what you're buying, yeah, you can buy that or you can buy, you know, this is our new micro spa radiance. It's a two-step process. And it's a, uh, uh, you know, it has got, it's got a, a vitamin C crystals, a resurfacing mask, and alpha and beta hydroxy acid gel, which activates. Like a miniature spa product. And so these, they're more affordable. So you can buy two or three products, especially for, you might not really come in and say, I want to spend $150. Yeah. And again, I don't know what that translates into uh, money in uh, South Africa. No, it's still affordable. It's that's, that's why it's selling like hotcakes here. Okay, so Paul, I want to change track. We're going to end Let's off go. with talking about botched, but I just want to be touching uh, base on something we spoke about is the um, your new tip elevation techniques. So tell tell the listeners a bit more about that. Sure. Um, when it comes to what we call tip rotation, that means if I turn my head, what is the angle between the upper lip and the nose? And I'm more cons- I've been more conservative where I don't elevate the nose too much. And by the way, if you do elevate the tip too much, you're going to see in the nostril. And uh, that's where they call it the Miss Piggy nose. Yeah. However, there's still a way to make a nose very elegant with getting a beautiful tip. And there are different techniques. I mean, you know, all of us have tried all kinds of techniques. And one of the standard techniques, you know, where you actually just stitch the cartilage up to what we call uh, septum, I found over many years that it actually fails or droops. It just doesn't stay up there because there's yeah. a lot of pushback from when it's what we call the tip is called a tripod. We have one leg of the tripod here, second here, second, third there. And when you push this up, the other two legs of the tripod are pushing it down. And with time, I felt that you lose a good percentage of it. So this is something called celestial rhinoplasty. Celestial means up towards the heavens, which in other words, let's get your tip up a little bit towards the heavens. Okay, okay. I I like that. that name. It's a cute name. You know, and again, it's more for, you know, when the women come in my office now, I'm finding out one of the criticisms that probably looking at my noses and some women would say, you know what? It's just not cute enough. Yeah. Can you make my nose cuter without making it look overdone? Yeah. So that's the same thing we've all done. Every one of us 
But the only thing I've done now, which is a little bit aggressive, yeah, is when I do this to break some of the spring. Okay. I actually this cartilage here, and there's two legs of the cartilage here. I amputate it. I cut it. Okay. And we do that when we're doing things called meteor curl overlay and yeah. other things that we do. But then after I cut it, which takes off some of the spring back, then I stitch that up to the septum. However, when I do that, it's very high. It's over-rotated. Yes. So in other words, it's that Miss Piggy look. It goes from, here's, let's say, for example, that might be more of an elegant one for a female. Okay. It's like that. Yes. But it's very stable and strong. Yes. Then we take something, and you've heard me lecture on this with you all the time. Yeah. Uh, my dice cartilage glue graft, which is cartilage we take from inside the nose, or if it's a revision, we might take it from the ear or the rib. We dice it up into very small pieces. We add a product called Tisseal or fibrin glue, yeah. which makes it kind of like pate or spackle or paste, whatever you want. And then I'll mold the cartilage in this whole area to gently rotate it back down and to give the tip whatever projection. Um, we can control how far it sticks out, how much we want to bring it in, and we control this. And I did this on my wife, Brittany. Yeah, yeah. Uh, she was one of my first cases I did. Uh, and um, maybe when she's around, we'll have her step by, probably uh, in her PJs right now since it's early in the morning here, and she's with the baby. Yes. So I've been she's doing that. Very and cute, uh, I got to tell you, and, and a lot of it's on my Instagram, you know, a lot of these, uh, you know, we're putting it on there. And, of course, I, I lecture about it now. But, again, it's just, it's aggressive. That's the thing. It's a little scary when you cut it and stitch it up and your nose is, like, very high. Yeah. And that's why you have to add to it. Augment it with There's it. a balance. Yeah, yeah, sure. Wow. Okay. So, I mean, what I, I'm trying to figure this thing out. You're a fellowship director. You're running this uh, this facial plastic practice you have these like international med spas skin brands all around you haven't even spoken about botch how do you find balance in that what do you do to get away from everything um first of all great question and you're right you know when we were filming botch that takes a day now yeah uh, and actually the new i think there's six episodes coming out your way pretty quickly um it's hard. I mean, during the week, during the week, regular work hours, um, I'm focusing on my fellowship, seeing patients, surgery, basic patient care during the workday. Sometimes very early in the morning, again, depending on what country I'm presenting at. So, for example, like I'm doing this right now with you. As soon as I'm done, I'm doing Zooms before I go in the office with patients yeah. from wherever they are. I might do a sale to the UK in the morning early, or when I come home at night, in the evening, 8 or 9 or 10 p.m., I might do a sale. Then on the weekend, like this weekend, I'm selling all weekend. Wow. And starting Friday night. So it's a constant balance. So this weekend, it's selling all weekend. But my balance are two things. I try to get home a little earlier nowadays. Yeah. Um, and see my baby and my wife and my kids. Yeah. My baby Paulina. But on the weekend, the biggest thing that I'll try to do besides sleep a little bit, try to work out still four or five times a week. Yeah, well, I can see that. Um, eh? Those, is um, try to play. 
Those those guns of yours look I'm, quite I'm quite substantial, good. eh? Almost as big as you, Mr. Olympia. Um, <laughs> and, uh, you know, remember he, he was telling me that, you know, he was an Olympian canoeist. Yeah. Uh, that, that, no, I, that, I want to hear about that. Oh, man, it, you know, it taught me a lot of stuff. It was 12 years of, of, uh, of sacrifice in many ways. I was in three different medical classes because I would study for a while and then I'd take a few years off, come back and study, take a few years off for the Olympics again. And uh, it, it, it taught me resilience and planning, you know, because it, it, was, it was a wonderful experience and being able to you know, do well in, in sports. But what comes from that is, is helpful. And one of the things that's come out of it is I've been quite involved with the International Olympic Committee, again, on their sports medicine side of things. So we've published some articles in the British Journal of Sports Medicine. And, and it fascinates me the nose in sports because what, I love rhinoplasty and I love sports. So I've always been thinking like, say we could improve if, for example, Usain Bolt had, wasn't breathing optimally and through surgery, we'd, through a septoplast, whatever we did, we improved the breathing through the nose, meaning he sleeps better at night, he's not snoring, he recovers better, he can train better, will he end up running better? So that's kind of what I'd love to see happening one day. Not so part of it. I don't know. We'll, we'll see what comes from it. I mean, I agree with you. So, oh, by the way, to finalize that answer, um, it's golf. Oh, we got it. Golf is my relaxation. That's I'm not beautiful. great at it yet, but um, it's something where I was actually uh, got out early yesterday, uh, and I played nine holes. Hi, look at your hair. Is that Paulina? And actually, we have a little friend. Come here. Oh, let's see her. Come here, baby. So cute. Eh? Come here. You're going to see Paulina in a minute. Beautiful. So that's what I try to do. Family, try to travel a little bit. We don't travel much. I mean, hopefully we will soon. Yeah. All right. Hello, my darling. Yeah. Hi, hi. Say hi, Cameron. Say hi. Yeah. Ah, it's lovely. This is Paulina. Wave. Are you going to wave? Say hi. Hi. Here we go. Wave. Hey. Wave. Beautiful. How old are you? One. One. Not two. One. Yes, that's great. Eighteen eh? months. So cute, eh? Yeah. Okay. So, yeah. Paul, last topic I want to try and delve into here is, um, so there are two things around botched. The first question I want to know is, how did this whole thing come about? I mean, now that it's in 166 countries, surely we, we, when you guys first thought of this, this wasn't even on the radar. It's, it's amazing. So tell us a little bit about that. Sure. Another cute story. Um, so my ex-wife and I were on a program called For Three Seasons, A Real Housewives of Beverly Hills. And, you know, that kind of ended badly. Actually, I ended up getting a divorce right after that. Mm. But it was, again, a good thing. Because, remember, the goal is to be happy in life for all of us. You know, we have one life to live. And you want to be as happy as And by the way, I'm probably the happiest I've ever been in my entire life. Right now. So um, we were, I was having dinner after that was over, after we were off the show with the producers. And we were talking, having a, a dinner. And we said, you know, it's time for a plastic surgery show. And so I said, you know, one of the, one of the, uh, the guys that owns the production company, I said, why don't we take people that have had, you know, bad plastic surgery and try to fix it on TV since 
you know, one of the things I learned in over the years is revision right on. Yeah. And, um, and so they said, yeah, they thought that was a great idea and also try to educate folks and, and, uh, you know, educate and try to teach people. And so at that point, uh, a colleague of mine and friend, got, you know, I've known for many years, was on, uh, Terry Dubrow, who was on, you know, Swan and Housewives of Orange County and Rhydoplasty, another, that was a really bad uh, makeover show. Uh, but he was, you know, he's, you know, excellent surgeon, but he's very good for TV. The guy loves TV, loves, he's a ham, joker, comedian. And, uh, and I called him, and of course the producers knew him because it was they were on the Orange County Housewives, same producers. And he said that's, and he was sick with the flu at that time. And I called him during dinner. I go, why don't we do this? And he goes, that's the stupidest idea I've ever heard. That we're going to actually take people that are destroyed and try to fix them. What about the results? And they're not good. And come by, I go, yeah, we show it all. We show it all, yep. no matter how it really is and educate and teach her what to do, what not to do, show complications. The next day, you call him back, you know what, that is a good idea. Right. So we um, filmed what we call a, a little scissor reel. We just talked about it and showed deformed patients had a bad plastic surgery, and they filmed it. And uh, the next day, the, or the, a couple of weeks later, uh, the E! Network picked it up immediately. That's amazing. And then, and, yeah. And right. here we go. So what is Seven the seasons in. That's great, eh? And it's no, it's wonderful. Tell me what have been one of the funniest moments that you've had? Because you guys joke. I mean, it's it's it looks like you guys have enjoy yourselves doing it. But what are one of the funniest moments you've had on Botched? Um, so you know, we do interviews with these patients, and that's what they show. You know, when they come in across the room, and where I get up and I say hi, and they introduce him, yeah, and I'm you know staying back. I mean, then we sit down and we watch. And talk to him. Um, falling asleep while they're filming. No. Really? I've, I've fallen asleep many times in the middle of our interview, the patient, and exams. I'll oh. sit there and I'll fall, put my head back. I'll fall asleep and they'll film it. And I think they showed it once. And then one of the times he looked at me and he saw I was sleeping. And he made everyone look at me. And I sat there probably for about a good minute and a half, and they just sat there still waiting until I woke up. <laughs> no. Embarrassed the hell out of me. It's so nasty of them. So, of course, we laughed, and I woke up. I think my, you know, you know how your head, you get the head bob, and you yeah, yeah. like that, and you wake up? I think that's what happened. Oh, that's awful, yeah. eh? Yeah, suck it. Sure. No, it was, but it was funny. Yeah, of course, eh? Sure. Yeah. Okay, so... Well, it's been a fascinating half an hour. I've got one last question I want to ask you. And I think it's going to come back to the botch thing. What is the one thing for you that makes you want to get up in the mornings and get back involved with botched? You mean we're just doing the show we're talking your about? Your drive, your one single thing that makes you determined to do well, for you mean for that? Yes, for that. I think the reason to, for us is it's a cautionary tale. And even though it's fun to watch and, you know, might see some results that are great and all that, but it teaches. So we have patients from all over the world that come on the show and want things that are crazy or have had horrible things done to them or have, you know, Ill, 
not uh, approved filler in their body and face, which has destroyed their lives. Uh, it educates patients of what type of doctor you should go to. Yeah. What should you do? What you should not do? It, it teaches. It gives warnings. So it educates about plastic surgery. And especially it's serious. It's not a joke. Yeah. So yeah. that's the part for us that really keeps us both that we love doing because it, you know, I think it helps our field. No, it's massive. Eh? Yeah. Listen, uh, I, I, I've got so much admiration for that. You know, people can kind of dress it up and stuff. But at the end of the day, I think what's come out this podcast is how many years and decades of work have gone into the success that you've achieved. Like, business-wise on the, on the skincare products and the med spa, um, perhaps through TV and stuff. But ultimately, it's you as the doctor who you are, which is the foundation of that, and your skills that you've had to learn over many, many years. So, oh, it's, it's really cool. Eh? Yeah, I mean, if I look back at myself from years ago, would I have ever thought I'd be, you know, doing any of this? No. Not being, a, you know, the goal for all of us is one, if you want to be a doctor, you have to be, a, you know, the goal is to be a good doctor. And then if you're a surgeon, be a good surgeon and, you know, and take care of your patients. And no matter what, that's what it comes down to all of us. The number one thing of all, it all comes back to is, you know, besides having spas and skincare, is patient care. Number one thing. That's beautiful. Eh? Well, on behalf of the listeners from like, Half the amount of countries that Botch gets broadcast on. Uh, uh, thank you. And to Elegant, shout out again for, for making this happen. Uh, Paul, thank you so much for taking time off on your busy schedule to chat to us. And yeah, have a lovely day further. Well, thank you, Cameron. And for everyone out there, thank you for listening to us chat. And uh, congratulations on this incredible podcast. 